Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. If you've been following business news around the world, you'd have heard of the phenomenon that is the Great Resignation. It hasn't really started to happen in the business world yet, but it looks as if the ECB and Cricket Australia are trying to kickstart things with Justin Langer and a whole host of England former players. How coaches and executives. Sacked. Summarily dismissed. You'll get all the information and more here on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Thinks he even got sacked from his own intro. Well, we'll leave that intro in for a start. <laughs> um, boys, I don't know where to start, really. It, it's a, a coaching merry-go-round that might get started by, I think, was Langer the first to go? Or? He wasn't the first, but he certainly will be an important part of this coaching merry-go-round. So let's go to the Australian setup first, because on the back of a T20 World Cup victory and a 4-0 series win, over England in the Ashes. Australian cricket coach, men's cricket coach, Justin Langer was this week offered a an interim contract, I think you'd have to six say, months, six, yeah. six to eight months to cover till the end of the T20 World Cup, the men's T20 World Cup, which is in Australia. You corrected <laughs> me from the last episode. Um, and that wasn't enough. That was offered to him on the plane on the way back to Western Australia. He landed and then submitted an email to Nick Hockley and Cricket Australia's board and has resigned as coach of the Australian men's team. After that, it gets really interesting because all of Australia's test cricketers from 1995 through 2015 have seen fit to have their say. Most of them, let's be fair, Langer's mates. Yeah, all Langer's Langer's cohorts will have played with him, opened the batting with him, bowled at him in the nets, maybe even captained him at at certain points in their career. All... Australian cricket identities, I think is the is the parlance that I've been told to use, have all thrown their support behind Justin Langer to various forms and slammed Cricket Australia to various forms, which I'd like to get into a little bit. Including Shane Warne, who obviously doesn't rate a coach anyway. Well, the coach drives you to the ground in the Shane Warne universe. Yeah, um, as but well. he's very upset. But he's also very upset that Cricket Australia have not done the right thing by Justin Langer. So we'll unpack that. I think the first question to ask ourselves really is, was it the right thing to do to offer Justin Langer a contract, no contract, a six-month contract? What was the right thing to do for Cricket Australia in this instance? Well, look, I'm going to reframe the question in a slightly different way and I'm going to throw it back to you. And we're going to talk about you know, what's going on at the ECB um, mm. as well. So um, I'm not in a glass house and I'm not about <laughs> to throw any stones. But is this the end in terms of... Have we heard the end of this in terms of the governance of Cricket Australia? Because... I've got to say, as unimpressed as I am with the governance of English cricket at the moment, I'm really not impressed by the governance and the way that Cricket Australia have handled now uh, Tim Payne, Justin Langer, um, Sam Papergate going back, you know, a couple Four of years. years. Ago, yep. Their exec have really look been pretty anonymous and pretty gutless, I think, in, in a lot of the decision making. Yeah. Haven't been tremendous at all and haven't certainly in 2021 and 2022 haven't showered themselves in glory. And Ian Chappell, I think, put it pretty succinctly when he said, well, he wasn't surprised that Cricket Australia made a mess of this because they haven't known anything about cricket for 60 years. And he's not one to, <laughs> to pull any punches or mince any words, Ian Chappell. But, you know, he it's not as bad as he's making it out to be potentially, but he kind of has a point and you have a point, Adam. It's, it's insulting. It's insulting that they offered Langer that six-month gig, isn't it? I mean, well, the plan was, oh, well, you know, let's kind of... Almost, it, they made it out as if it was sort of some let's both go out on a high at, at the next World Cup. But if and if they actually said that 
after a guy's just brought you home an unexpected T20 World Cup and an absolute pantsing in the ashes, then I've got to say, I, I just think that that is taking the piss. Well, I think even if they, if I, we'll, we'll get onto this, but if you don't think Justin Lang is right for the position, that's actually fine. But the way that they've gone about things, and it, it's just, why offer him a, why yeah. offer him a contract if you actually don't think he's the future? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So let's break it down. If you look at it just based on performance, Justin Langer should be offered a multi-year deal as Australian men's coach for two, three, four years, whatever the you know longevity lifespan of a of a coach in this modern day and age is and should be. So however long that should be, it should have been multiple years and it should have been no, we'll get to the World Cup and we'll see. Because the last six months of what has created this, we don't know what's happening with our coach and all of the players and and all the people around the setup are adopting this wait-and-see approach, which is exactly what we would have had for the next six months anyway. So, But before you go on anymore, you've made it sound like Langer should have 100% has, has done enough to, to get that contract in a multi-year contract. I, has he actually? I, I put that in context, right? So I think if you, if you look at recent performance, and the two big performances that we're hanging our hat on here are a T20 World Cup that we had no right to win, and an Ashes series where we've dominated England and we really should have, those are the things that people will point to as on-field performance equals success. And if you look at the on-field performance of the Australian cricket team over the course of his entire tenure, there's a trend there as well. And I think we should maybe break that down a little bit. Adam, you had some stats that you wanted to bring into the fore around his performance as head coach. Yeah, well, well, well. Look, let's let's just actually go with some, you know, go with some facts. So ODI's forty-seven games, twenty-five wins, and twenty-two losses. So he's got a, a slightly, yeah, a slightly above one-point-one win-loss ratio. Yep. T twenties, forty-six games, has won just twenty and lost twenty-four. So yep. uh, worse than a fifty-fifty record. And tests, twenty-two test matches, eleven test wins, seven losses, four draws, mm. for a one-point-five win-loss ratio. And we'll and we'll look at those series. So if we have a look at those individual series, Pakistan in, at a neutral venue, 2018-19, after he took over from the South Africa series, won that. Uh, lost to India in Australia beat Sri Lanka in Australia, drew the Ashes in England, 2019 we're into now. Then we beat New Zealand and Pakistan at home. We probably expected to win those series. We lost to India in Australia, and then we beat England at home, which we were expected to win and win heavily anyway. So if you have a look at that record, it's got a reasonable amount of longevity in it, but it's more... Robbie Deans than it is Steve Hansen or or Graham Henry, right? There's a there's a kind of a, a 50-50 win-loss ratio. We're kind of treading water in terms of series results and overall records. But the two things that he has delivered is an Ashes victory and having retained the Ashes in 2019, of course, uh, drawing the series in England and also winning that T20 World Cup. So from a performance point of view, despite the 50-50 nature of the record, I would still give him a tick as being successful because I think he's delivered improvement in performance and he's also delivered the marquee series victories that Australia needed, India series at home, losses notwithstanding. Yeah, and I think uh, I think you're right that uh, he's their performances under Justin Langer have been better than they have been bad, you know, like they're, mm. they're definitely trending on that side. But I, I yeah, I, I, I think that the picture that's been painted in terms of 
Oh, wow. Lang has been unbelievable for Australian cricket in recent times. He's just putting stacks stacks of performances on the, you know, on the bounce. You've got to put those other things I, into I th- consideration. Yeah, right? I, I think certainly it, 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 before those two performances, you would not have been, none of us would have even been batting an eyelid really about him not being retained. And I think this conversation about his uh, position as coach has been, they've been having this conversation since before that T20 World Cup. And, and I think that's why we're, yeah. you know... We're and, and the reason that we're having this conversation is not about performance on the field. If no. it was just about performance on the field, in the last 12 months, he has earned himself a multi-year extension, in my view, and I think in a lot of people's view as well. So question around this player power, I think, look, has been on the increase for a period of time now. We're, you know, talking about going to IPL tournaments. We're talking about the, particularly in Australia, the captain runs the side. And yep. I, I just want to unpick that a little bit. So both Aaron Finch and Pat Cummins mm-hmm. have been in the press. And I've got to be honest, if I'm being really, really cynical, they've been emailed the same talking points and they've changed a couple of words so that they sounded as if they had a slightly different message. But ultimately, they were speaking off the same Cricket Australia email around Cricket Australia being in the decision-making seat for this, and we'll see what happens. And it's at arm's length, and we're... Yeah, yeah and it's not, it's not our problem. Yep. If you go back to the great Australian captains, and I'm, I'm talking you know, about the likes of your Mark Taylors, uh, your Steve Wars, would you ever, ever see them sitting on the fence with that kind of comment around them running their side as the Australian captain. I don't think they would have been asked in public whether or not they had any thoughts on the coach because I don't think that they would necessarily have had any input as to who the coach was. I think the coach would have been picked by the board and they would have said to the Australian cricket team, here is your coach. Your coach is John Buchanan, like it or leave it. That's going to be who your coach is. Your coach is going to be Trevor Hones or whoever the coach happened to be at the time. And they would have been tasked with working with the captain and going, right, we are going to prepare you for success. And as soon as you get onto the field, the side is yours. When we're off the field, I'll help you with, you know, making sure we've got the right tactics and we've got the right, you know, plans to attack batters. And I'll give you all the information you need and I'll help pick the side. But as soon as you get onto the field, the team is yours. I think that in this particular instance, the players have been asked, those two players you mentioned, Cummins and Finch, have been asked two questions. And I'm only speculating here. I don't know this. But my speculation is that they would have been asked two questions. One, can you work with Justin Langer? And I think they probably would have both answered, well, at a push, yes. I think he's a good dude. You know, we've had some good results. He's intense, but he's kind of changed. And that's an important factor, though, I think, to consider, is he has changed his leadership style. And in terms of the things that have been asked of him, he has delivered on that, um, even if it means him taking a back seat to his assistants. But I think the other question, and the more pertinent question that those two captains would have been asked, is something along the lines of, if you were given a choice between Justin and another coach like, say, for example, Andrew McDonald, who do you think you would prefer to work with? And I think it's quite clear in the outcome that if you read between the lines, the preference is to work with someone more like Andrew McDonald than Justin Langer. And that's the outcome that we find ourselves in at the moment. And that is looking like, at least in the interim, that that's who the Australian captains will get as a coach. They'll get Andrew McDonald at least in the interim. Yeah, I, I will stick up for Pat Cummins a bit here as well because he's been he has been slammed a bit 
by these former and players. And I'm not trying to slam him. No. I'm, I'm speculating as to what he was asked and what he would respond with. And the first response is, can you work with Justin Langer? I think they would have said, yes, I think he's a good dude. He's intense at times, but I, he's reasonable to work with. Yeah, but what what is he supposed to say in the media to those players? What, do, you, uh, do those players actually, do you think a Steve Waugh would have come out and said, yes, I don't want to work with Justin Langer. He's not like, we're in the middle of this Ashes series, but actually as soon as that's done, like I'm pretty confident that, you know, we'll move on to a different coach because he's just not getting the best results out of us. I, I think that he had to play it diplomatically. What what was he sort of supposed to say? Yeah, look, you, you raise a really good point. I, I, the bit I don't like is that they've been given a canned response. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they've sort of, they've, they've to an extent, given a media answer to a media question, right? And, and just pass the book or um, let it through to the keeper or whatever cliche you want to mm. use. Um, the, the the reason I make the point is I think Australian captains have long been renowned for being strong-willed and, and for running the team. Um, and look, in my view, they probably could have answered slightly differently. Look, I've had some input into who I would like to work with um, and it's with Cricket Australia. Yes, they're going to get the follow-up question and then they can say, look, it's not appropriate for me to talk about that. I've mm. given my input to the correct mm. channels. But essentially... They've kind of dodged that, you know, that little bullet, really. And uh, it just smells for me. And, and, yep. and I think the six-month extension to the That's end of the World Cup, that was, a, that was an insult. Yeah, and abs- absolutely. And I want to pick up on that because they're the two things that smell for me, right? If the feedback from the players was that they preferred another coach and from the comments that they've made publicly, none of the players have really got behind Justin Langer as a coach from the get-go. They may have made comments here and there, we love Justin Langer, I think was a quote of Pat Cummins, but they haven't really got behind him and said, yes, we want him to continue, we give him a vote of confidence publicly. They haven't done that, which is kind of, if you read into it, town to mount to, we don't really support that coach. We're We're a fan of change, and that's what Cricket Australia have said. So if that's the case, why not move in another direction immediately? Why offer him a contract at all? And why offer him a contract they are almost have to be, if they've got any sense, know that Justin Lang is not going to accept. Like, they know. Surely they knew when they offered him a six-month contract to the end of the World Cup, they would have known that Justin Langer would turn that down. Well, either that or they've gone, geez, we're not organised enough to, to have a new coach yet. We just need a bit more time to, to get the right appointment. So, Justin, could you just do us a, a solid and, and stick it out for a few more months while we can... Get, get this sorted because, yeah, you're, you're spot on. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And actually, it's it, – I don't know if they're, you know, trying to do the PR thing and actually, you know, get Justin Langer to stand down in terms of them not actually firing Justin Langer because of what we've said that – But that know, looks he, worse though. Well, and, and I agree. look worse in that situation rather than saying, thank you, Justin, you've taken Australia from a position where we were in the poo of our own volition in 2017. You've – built Australia up through cliche and rhyming slang and... and um, <laughs> Elite honesty. Yep, and Amazon... ship and, and Amazon specials into a team that, you know, Australian, the public at least, can be pretty proud of, and success has been has been associated with that. Thank you, we're going to move in another direction. And that could have been... that's That can be the completely right situation. It can be right that Justin Langer has done a good job and that the players don't want to work with him anymore. Yep. Those things are totally fine. I, and a really simple way is, you know, we think that a four-year cycle is, you know, pretty much what you'll see around the coaching world. Um, around pl- the political world? Around pl- the players business world? Are, you know, p- players, you know, will listen to a voice for a period of time and then it reduces in its effectiveness, no matter whether or not 
by the end of that cycle, it's been successful. You know, you'll often see coaches stand down after a World Cup victory because they've got nothing else to give um, to, to prove. So mm -hmm. you would have thought they would have had that open, honest, respectful Absolutely. conversation. And the bit uh, I think that might shoot Cricket Australia in the foot is does this narrow their market for the new guy? Unless they've already decided it's Andrew McDonald and he's the heir apparent. If you were an international coach, you know, for hire, a Gary Kirsten, for example, what are you going to think about the way that the board have mismanaged this? If you do, then go and interview for that role. You're probably thinking, I don't trust these guys as far as I can throw them. And that's the problem Australia are going to work themselves into. It's the same problem that we have in American sport where you get a, a player-led sacking of a coach and then the players are effectively pinpointing the coach that they want. And it happened a couple of times in LeBron James's career to his detriment. He want, he had his guy. He had Ty Lu, or he had a specific coach that he wanted in Cleveland or in L.A., and he got that coach, and that didn't necessarily equal long-term success. I, I hearken it back to, and I know that they're international cricketers and they're at the top of their game, but at, where, at what point in your career do you know more than your coach does? And you, are more, and you know everything that he can possibly impart on you, and you think, right, this guy is just a facilitator for our team. He's got nothing else to offer other than that. Because if you're picking a coach... You're either going, this guy has got way more experience than me and I need him to teach me. Or you're saying, this guy is a facilitator that can help the group environment, but he's not going to help me necessarily tactically, right? I think that, or picking up on that point, I would say that today you really need to be versatile. And I think that's probably that every every player works differently. And, and I think if you're going to look at some of the criticism leveled at Langer, that's that's part of it, right? That that he was never able to be that sort of person who went over and put their arm around someone and you know lifted someone up in that way. Mm. He he just did it his way, mm. and if you did if that's not how you operated, you know you saw things like uh, I think I saw a clip from the test circling round the other day saying where some of the players were saying. You know, JL was a, an intense batter. He when he played, he wanted he wanted there to be some sort of conflict. So he'd kind of get in that conflict and get in that attacking kind of conflicting mode before he goes out to bat. Other batters just want to sit there and be quiet and mm. have their headphones on and listen to music. And JL would be in their ear, or it's, you know, yep. I, I'm not in that dressing room, so I don't know. But I think that's the that's what I would say about coaching in in terms of even the very you know, limited number of, of high level coaches that I've had dealings with is that you've got to be you've got to be versatile and be able to know this player works in this way and I need to operate in that way if I'm gonna get the best out of them. Yeah, and that's and that's what effectively Cummins and Finch are asking for, right? They are asking for a character that they can relate to and that they can they can identify with and help work with them in terms of creating that environment for success. I don't think they're necessarily looking for someone who has played more test cricket than them or has operated at a higher level than they have because they feel like they're at the top of their game. So if that's the if that's the approach that they're going to take, then the onus is on those captains are effectively to, to carry the success of the team on their shoulders because if Australia take a downward turn now in terms of their on-field performance and they've want, like those two captains have effectively said, we want this coach or this style of coach, then that's then on them, right? Yeah, proof's in the pudding, right? That's, that's then on them. You know, if, you, if you're LeBron and you want Ty Lu. The success of that coach is actually on you now as much as it is on the coach, right? So whoever takes over from Australian cricket, they're going to be tarred with that with that performance brush. And a lot of it has got to come down to responsibility for those captains to say, yep, that's on me.
And and let's circle back to that because I mean, Binks, you mentioned the merry-go-round stuff at the start. I think we probably want to cover England before mm-hmm. we kind of get back to what's going to happen for for both these two sides. Yeah, and before we do, let me just plant this seed. So we'll talk about this in this merry-go-round conversation. But from an Australian perspective, I do want to talk about whether or not they might split the coaching roles because I think that that's going to be one of the key things that we'll you know we'll continue to see with the, the way that we now play so much cricket in different we're, locations we're often at the same time and mm-hmm. that's going to happen more um, and more and more but yet uh, look we've got to talk a little bit about um, the goings on in the ECB yeah how, I mean how different do you like if you want to contrast the two situations obviously Australia is coming from a, a winning situation England's come from this you know, certainly in the media, devastating loss and, and being painted that way and, and heads have rolled. I mean, how, how do you compare the two, Bixie? Well, look, the, the annoying thing is we're recording this podcast on a Tuesday night and I've just listened to another cricket podcast on the way up but that summarised my point really, really well. And I just wish now that um, a rant that I had to border the other day um, was actually recorded because it would prove that my thought process was actually the same as, as George DeBell, who, who, who we've had on the, the show. Um, and look, he just made the point that really Tom Harrison has made Ashley Giles essentially the, the scapegoat for his... Uh, mismanagement of this whole situation. Um, I'm trying to think of a way of framing it and I've probably come up with one. So um, I won't nail any political colours to the mass, but there is an argument that says that um, since Jacinda Ardern closed our borders on the 25th of March, she hasn't got a decision right since then. Um, I see some similarities with Tom Harrison since he signed an absolutely barnstorming television deal for the ECB seven or eight years ago. He seems to have just presided over an absolute shambles um, in terms of what's going on both domestically, politically and performance-wise in this England game, with probably the exception of, of bringing Andrew Strauss in to, to kind of um, have that white ball reset. And I think his fingerprints are all over that. And no surprise that he's now come in as kingmaker, um, as interim managing director. So the, the first thing I just want to say is this is two different scenarios. Langer would deserve to, to carry on. And as much of a nice guy as Chris Silverwood is and probably Graham Thorpe is and probably Ashley Giles is in terms of looking after player wellness through the course of a horrific pandemic, ultimately you are judged by your results on the pitch. And England have been on the decline in red ball cricket and the cracks are starting to appear a little bit in the white ball cricket as well. Yes, we've got a few players out, um, but we've, you know, we've only got to the semi-finals of a, a tournament we were expected to win, let's be honest. We were we were strong favourites for that tournament. And now um, the West Indies are giving us a pretty good touch-up in, in the West Indies, again, albeit with a few players missing. So we're not in a rosy situation from an English cricket perspective. And um, two different scenarios, I think, in terms of Silverwood having to go, um, as well as Ashley Giles. Is the problem as much one of the people that were there as the structure? Or is it mostly around the structure that put Chris Silverwood almost in sole charge of that England setup? Yeah, could been bef- and I guess in doing that, can you kind of explain, you mean touched on Harrison before, I asked you before the podcast to kind of run me through, uh, you know, how it all works, because we've got Harrison making the decisions here, but Giles has, you know, been the one that's that's ended up having to fall on his sword, and, and then the Silverwood and Thorpe, and there's all there's all a collection of other people that are chairman of boards and, and all this stuff. Can you can you give us a quick summary of, of how it all unfolds underneath Harrison? 
Yeah, so look, I, I, I'm, I'm just caveat this by saying I don't have the org chart. I, I have an understanding, <laughs> but yeah, he's essentially the CEO of um, the English Cricket Board. Um, his remit is wide. You know, it includes commercial interests, it includes uh, performance pathways, the women's game, the men's game, a whole bunch of other stuff, domestic cricket to an extent as well, working with the county chairman. But ultimately, a lot of the decisions that he's made, you know, we talk about some of the tours and the negotiations around whether we go to Pakistan for or not. He was the guy locked in a room having those conversations. And then he delivers to Ashley Giles, this is what you are now left with. Here's the deck of cards that you now get to play this game with. So he's essentially made a lot of the decisions that have governed player availability, IPL contracts, when players are going to come back, when we're going to play our test cricket during the course of the summer. And then has given that to... Ashley Giles is a bit of a dog's breakfast to then actually try and make um, a situation work. Now, we then come on to Giles. He's made some monumental errors. You talked about structure. Um, I think Raj has made some notes on this as well. And um, getting rid of that national selector was it was a call that Giles made and, and gave that power to Silverwood. Um, that seems to be a mistake when you look at some of that absolutely horrendous errors that have been made as recently back as Brisbane when you don't play your you know your premier um, seamer against left-handers in Stuart Broad on, on a wicket that would have been conducive to him doing pretty well and mm -hmm. um, Adelaide look we don't even need to go into that we've, we've, we've <laughs> yeah. litigated that on Can't the podcast many many times the, the other thing I think is Chris Silverwood was given the role as a grow into it role he, he probably wasn't an international coach of enough repute to have let's face it one of the three biggest jobs in world cricket um, when you look at Australian coach Indian coach which I wouldn't really want either um, and uh, an Australian coach if I didn't already say that so yeah anyway well, the big, I mentioned Australia twice the big three anyway. is, what, is what I'm saying but then to give a guy that's growing into a role that much responsibility to select sides particularly when he's selecting a side for a tour that he's not even going to be on because he's still in the middle of another tour <laughs> and in another bubble, just wasn't setting them up for um, for success. So look, I think it's a little bit of a shambles. And I think if you actually look at it, look, maybe Harrison is at this point in time also talking around his own departure, but to have a CEO, a managing director, a, a head coach, um, a batting coach and, and a bunch of other people probably likely to get moved on. So I think we'll see more and more coming out of the ECB. I'd expect to see the player pathways um, situation looked at. So whether Mo Bobat's role as, um, I think, performance pathways manager or something, look, expect to see those things reviewed through the course of this. Maybe Harrison is actually just doing the press at the moment mm. um, and there'll be a structure in place and, and he he's you know, talking about his exit from his tenure at the same time. And this is all irrelevant. Um, but I think at the moment, if you look at the same scenario that's happened in Australia and we've unpicked that pretty well, the, the situation, as far as I'm concerned, is that Ashley Giles is a scapegoat for this. He's certainly made some bad decisions, um, but he's the one that's been made to pay with his job at the moment um, over the course of the last, uh, the last several days. And I feel like this is more of a structural issue for England cricket than it, than it is the people involved. Although Chris Silverwood... You, you've kind of touched on it, was growing into his role. He, he, he sounds for all intents and purposes, and I want to come back to this, a great man manager, a great people person. The players like him. The players support him. But the results on the field weren't standing up to that part of his scorecard, that part of his report card, and he's been given given the the, the, the ass, as we say in Australia. <laughs> um, whereas Australia have got the opposite problem. We've got performances on the field, but a coach that the Australian players don't necessarily 
feel like is the right kind of man manager for them. So we'll come back to that at the end. But maybe we just swap them over. Well, this that's is, the that's the, that, is, that's what is, you're talking about, isn't is, it? Is that a genuinely possible? Not not a clean swap, as they would say in trading card terms. But is is a coaching swap on the cards here? At some point. And, and what would happen if it is? I just want to touch on that structural thing. What changes to the structure do you actually need in England cricket to get yourselves back on track? At least, as a minimum, a s- multiple selectors other than the coach, right? Is there anything else that needs to change in that coaching setup in your view? Or does it all get fixed by having a more results-oriented coach and multiple sele- selectors or a better structure in place behind them? So I'm, I'm going to make two points. Number one, and the point that I'm not going to labour on, is... The domestic structure needs to be looked at. That the I don't know whether this was a case of they kind of knew what was coming, but the county championship has been revamped for this year. There's a lot more county cricket. Um, I think well, not a lot more, but there's I think five games now in the middle of the summer mm-hmm. when the pitches should be a little bit better. Um, it, you know, it, it'll build that sort of spin coming into the game if the weather's decent and batters needing to go out and score big runs and the Duke's ball and Darren Stevens not being potentially as effective as he would be. Don't in, don't rule Darren Stevens out. No, I'm not going to rule him <laughs> out, but I'm, I'm saying it, it, it might be there to slightly in the game. But let's not go into that. Um, to answer your question on structure. I'm going to put a caveat on this. The structure needs to change. And in my opinion, it needs to change that we have coaches for the different formats. Less of a worry around the white ball at the moment. Paul Collingwood seems to be pretty well liked. He works very well with Captain Owen Morgan. And let's be honest, Owen Morgan runs that white ball show. So I don't think they're going to need to do a massive amount differently other than potentially look at how they actually make the best players available now for test cricket um, after we focus probably on the fact that we've got a test series coming up over the uh, the winter in the West Indies, we've obviously got our domestic summer with, with seven test matches at home. Mm-hmm. And then we've got a T20 World Cup. So we've got to have one eye on that T20 World Cup because I think that that has been something we've been building for, um, particularly with these two tournaments back to back. So I, I would advocate that there needs to be two coaches. The caveat, though, that I'll have with this is it depends on who's in the running. If someone like a Ricky Ponting or a Justin Langer or a Gary Kirsten came in and said, I will take the job, but I want to be the head coach and I want oversight over all three formats, I think you would have to have that as part of your mentality when you're making that call rather than to maybe judge the structure and then say, right, who can we fit into these? I think there's absolutely a scenario where you could get someone of that calibre, and particularly with young families and all of these guys, if you think about it, that are in the running are probably in their late 40s, early 50s, Mm. to, to a large extent. They've had their playing career and been on the road. Their children are probably a little bit older, but they're still going to benefit from and want some time at home. I can see that split coaching role working well, but I wouldn't rule out having one... Um, head coach if the right person um, wants that that job i i think it's much more likely that a can that candidates for a head coaching position for australia or england would be amenable to coaching red ball cricket or white ball cricket to reduce the touring load because they can't be in two places at once and they might want oversight over the overall structure of of how cricket goes, but they would be a head coach for one of those or other of those sides. I wouldn't be surprised if Gary Kirsten comes into it or Trevor Bayliss comes into it and says, yep, I'm happy to take over the head coach of the Red Bull, of the Test Cricket team and general kind of coaching structure 
And then we have a specific white ball coach that fits in alongside that. Yeah. And, and look, I've said, and I think I might have even said to you in chat, and if it wasn't you guys, it was the, uh, my other critting friend group um, oh, on, on chat. Those ones you always talk about. Yeah. Um, was look, I, I'd love to see someone like a Mahala Jai Warden come in and take over our white ball side. Um, and then any one of Ponting, uh, Gary Kirsten or Justin Langer take over the, the Red Bull side and even a reversal of that. Um, I would like to see the best caliber person. And that's one of the other th things I've got for you is in England, it seems to be more palatable to have had an overseas coach. You've had one relatively disastrous scenario with Mickey Arthur in the last sort of what, 10 years or so, mm -hmm. but very much it's about growing those, um, those homegrown coaches. England's most successful coaches in the past 15 years have been Andy Flower, have been Duncan Fletcher, have been uh, Trevor Bayliss with that white ball uh, on uh, 2019 World Cup win. And mm. um, Australia have tended to have Australian um, Australian coaches. So that's why I don't think you'd see a swap. And if you did, I don't think it'd be Chris Silverwood. What, and why don't we go there then? Because there's been a lot of, um, you know, discussion around who these people are and a lot of speculation. And, um, I mean, you, you mentioned about Langer. I mean, I saw that he was, you know, we're recording this on a Tuesday night here in New Zealand. I think we'll, this podcast will come out later on in the week towards the back end probably. But so, you know, who knows? They might have a... a a different betting favourite by then, or we might even see someone in the role. But Langer was the, Langer was short priced favourite to to take over the England role when I saw it, and um, I think the other ones, um, yeah, Gary Kirsten was in the mix, and Alex Stewart was actually second in the the betting favourites. So, I mean, I, I don't know where you guys want to start, but Australia or England? Do we have any? Predictions? Any uh, crystal ball gazing on who these people might be? I'm more prepared to gaze into the England coaching crystal ball because I actually think that if you have a look at England's performances and mental state in the Ashes series that we have just had, Justin Langer would be the perfect foil for getting in and getting a bit of mental resilience, mental toughness, if for want of a better word, a bit of mongrel into that England side and actually instilling some of the values that he brought into the Australian cricket team four years ago into that England setup. I think that would be tremendously beneficial for England to have someone like that in the role. I actually think that England would potentially have quite a lot of success under Justin Langer in three years, three years into his coaching tenure. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you're saying, having the same kind of conversations about his intensity and his relationship with players if he hasn't changed um, substantially over that period of time, mellowed or, or become more adaptable, as you say. But I actually think that from an England cricket point of view, that is the kind of coach that they need right now. And I... I I don't fear for the for the ashes in the future, but if England had a coach like him, that in, and there's a little bit of mental resilience in a guy like Zach Crawley or a guy like Dan Lawrence, that's a formula that, that, that England could get behind in terms of their success on the field. Uh, I'm all for that from an entertainment point of view. What, what about from a, a cricketing perspective, Binksy? Yeah, look, I see a lot of merit in, in entertaining that conversation. Justin Lang has played a lot of county cricket, both with Middlesex and I think Somerset as well. Um, one of the big elephants in the English room at the moment is who's going to open the batting in the long term if he's got the You're suggesting that Langer should come back and play, play a coach, a coach. <laughs> yeah. we haven't had a player coach in a while um look I, I, yeah look who, who knows funnier things have happened but and um, my, my point really was more around whether or not he can actually identify 
the traits needed for uh, for that England batter. And if we look, um, and you know, Raj made this this point in his notes. He actually made a couple of really really good sort of gut field picks for Australia in Mitchell Marsh and Travis Head that have really now started to come to fruition. If he can have a couple of pet projects, and you know, he knows enough about the county game as well, I think, to understand how to go and scout and how to go and look at those players. Look, I I would not be. Um, I would not be averse to it. And, and I think, look, when you've got pants um, by the old rivals, what better way to, to try and replicate some of their system? And, and I think, um, you know, we, we did that famously, if you, if you like, after um, really, a, you know, a point of sort of no return. We copied the Cricket Academy. We got Rod Marsh involved. And that really paved the way for that 2005 English um, Ashes victory, which, you know, turned the tide a little bit. Um, we go back, Langer actually has the best Ashes result since 2005, if you think about um, the scoreline in England. Mm, absolutely. Um, so that, that two-all draw. So, yeah, look, I wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be against it. It'd be a bit weird to see him straight in the blue tracksuit, though, wouldn't it? Oh, it'd be so, so, so That'd good. That'd be a great story for for world cricket, though, wouldn't it? If not just a langer, then who do you think for England in terms of that test setup? I, I would, because, yeah, I was going to say in terms of uh, that county scene, I'm surprised there's not been more buzz for someone like Jason Gillespie, who's who's spent a lot of time over there in the county scene and, and certainly been pretty successful from, from all accounts. I don't follow county cricket super closely, but seems like he had a very good stint there at Yorkshire and in another stint in recent times. Sussex, yeah. So I think... Um he, he's ruled himself out of the Australia job today, so I, yeah, I don't know yeah. whether that's uh, ruling himself into the England job. Um, my understanding is, again, from, from a travel perspective, um, mm. I, I don't see... And this is part of the problem, right, is you've got this situation where a lot of these guys are going to earn as much money, if not, you know, near as damn it makes no difference money, doing a couple of six-week tournaments somewhere versus... Well, it's like ponting, isn't yeah. it? Why would he, versus, he get the same amount of money just go over there for a month and do the IPL? Versus 300, you know, 300 days on the treadmill. So I, th- I think this is why I said, depending upon who is available and who declares their intention, I would personally break the bank to get um, a ponting or a langa or a Jaya Wadena um, to come in and coach one of the formats and, and almost let them say, hey, I want to actually be part of the blueprint here. The only caveat I would say is I'd say to them, look, we actually don't want you to just give this 11 players success and and, mm. um, and drive that one outcome. We want you to be involved in the rebuild of everything that actually comes as part of that as well in terms of structures and how we're going to make that work. So they would need to put some serious skin in the game in terms of time and investment um, in, in order for them to do that. But in terms of names, yeah, look, for me, wh- why not go right out there and look at the likes of Ponting, the likes of Langer, the likes of Jai Wadena, the likes of Gary Kirsten. That would be where I would start. Baldy, we've got to get you off the fence. You actually said before that you think that it's just going to be Andrew McDonald. Is it as simple as that? There's been a lot of other names bandied around. Trevor Bayliss is one that you guys have, have mentioned. It seemed mm. like he is... Yes, his name's certainly out there as someone who could take over. Well, I think Andrew McDonald's got the job in the interim, right? Mm. At, at, for the for the interim series tour yeah, to Pakistan, Pakistan, he is he is the Australian men's coach. I think that there are probably four candidates that I think they would have been looking at. One of them, I would have been looking very very closely at Jason Gillespie because he's had success with the Adelaide Strikers. He's had success in the English system. He is a very very well credentialed coach from a performance and results point of view, and 
he is a good people person. He, he is like a great people yep, person. He is a good per- people person, and I think the Australian players, particularly the bowlers, you talk about having a fast bowling captain, what better foil to have than a great fast bowling coach? If you're going to have a look at other candidates, Andrew McDonald is highly credentialed based on his domestic success with Victoria and also in the Big Bash. I think he's had success there. And then you cast your net afield to, I think, Trevor Bayliss or Gary Kirsten are the two other names that Australia would look at. Gary Kirsten would tick the foreign coach or, or overseas coach coming in um, and, and giving that external perspective on the Australian setup and might have some input into that. And Trevor Bayliss obviously has been a coach who's been around for a long time. He's also had success. And I think those are the guys that they're going to look at in some detail. I don't think they're going to go back to Darren Lehman. I don't think that they're going to necessarily look at overseas coaches other than maybe Gary Kirsten and sound out what his availability is going to be like. But I think Andrew McDonald really is the front runner. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the guy they're going to go with unless they get an overwhelming level of interest from someone like Jason Gillespie, who unfortunately has ruled himself out. So I think it's McDonald's jobs to lose. Interesting. Because Kirsten's an interesting one because I think he'd be a weird one if he took the Aussie job now because he was kind of courting the the English job a few months ago with all the comments that he was making around, you know, he was sort of essentially saying, yes, I would take that job if they offered it to me. So it feels like a, a, a would be a, then a weird one for for Australia to then pick up. It would, but if you asked me 12 months ago, do I think Justin Langer could potentially ever coach England? I would have said absolutely well, absolutely not, uh, probably over his dead body, but it may come <laughs> to pass that in eight weeks' time, Langer, J is head coach of the England men's side. A lot to think about. And something we can muse on over the course of the week, and I'm sure it's all going to unfold, and our predictions will turn to shit. <laughs> Um, and we'll just see a reversal and Langer will take over and Silverwood will take over and it'll all be done. But look, um, hopefully you've enjoyed our musings on the cricketing coaching merry-go-round. We will be back in your feed with our IPL preview show and a whole host more over the course of the coming weeks. So stay tuned to the Top Water Podcast. Good night. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>